0: right now called more than enough this will be week three of more than enough and first week we talked about forgiveness that actually the standard that jesus sets is 70 times seven is the amount of times we are to forgive ultimately it was an expression that meant unlimited we are to offer forgiveness and we even peeled back the layers of what does it look like to forgive when they don't say sorry what does it look like to forgive when they really don't deserve it what does it look like to forgive when you were Um, unjustly wronged, and we dove into that. And then last week, we talked about how nothing, having nothing left, is actually a place that God loves to start. And when we have nothing, he can turn nothing into something. And we talked about the disciples casting their nets and coming up dry, empty, all night long. And Jesus, in one moment, says, throw on the other side. And they go from nothing to a whole lot of something that's almost sinking their ship. And so we're gonna continue this series as we look at kingdom math, right? 70 times seven, from nothing to something. And there's so many stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament where we see that kingdom math goes against basic logic. It actually takes us into this exponentially more area. And we are looking at the more than enough parts of scripture. And uh, today it's Father's Day, and so I've got a message that is really gonna, I believe, um, speak to father's hearts, gonna speak to dads in the room, honestly, because we're gonna talk about something that historically dads are terrible at. I'm gonna talk about something that we historically, we're just really, really bad at, and, and we're gonna dive into this, uh, because the reality is for many people in the room, especially again, the men, the dads, there's something kinda hardwired often in the brain of men that we just we wanna be able to take care of things. We wanna be able to handle things, And we we like to think sometimes that we have no limits, that there's no limitations. And, And I can think about so many times in my life where the phrase, you can't, has fueled me. Anybody ever had this happen, where somebody casts doubt onto you and a situation, you're like, bet, all right, let's do it. You tell me I can't watch me do it. A moment like this happened a couple years ago. I was officiating a wedding down in Oklahoma over New Year's, it was a New Year's Eve wedding, a late night, and I officiate a a good amount of weddings, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and so it's a part of my life. Just recently I officiated two weddings in a single weekend in Wisconsin and Houston, back to back. Okay, I've been around weddings a lot, and there's something I've actually noticed, that there's a huge disparity in all wedding venues between the the bride's suite for the bride and the bridesmaids and the suite, the space where you hang out for the groomsmen. Basically, you've got the Ritz-Carlton, and then you've got a closet. And it's like, hey, dudes, throw your stuff in there. Just chuck it in, hang out. But here's the problem. The groomsmen, and often the officiant, they're locked into the same timeline as the bridesmaids. So they've got like a 10-hour plan from sunup to sundown of what they're doing. And the groomsmen, we're typically, you're just hanging out. You're like, give me five minutes and a wet towel and I can be wedding ready, like it's not hard. And so the groomsmen are always just hanging out and usually in this environment, there's boredom sets in. And what happens when a bunch of dudes get bored? We're gonna start challenging each other to some things. And this this wedding was no different and there was a particular groomsman And uh, you know this guy. We all know this guy. There's a version of him everywhere, and he is the guy that works out because he wants to look yoked. You know what I'm talking about? He's going to build his regiment to look as jacked as possible, to look cut, to look lean. He's going to look good. Now, I knew that this guy was this type of person because earlier in the year, we had been demoing our house. We had demo day, and I invited some young men to help me. And he showed up thinking this was going to be like an HGTV set. He had a nice flannel on. He had tight jeans on, so his thighs were popping. And he goes, ooh, give me that sledgehammer. Hands the camera to a friend says, get photos of this. And he's like. It's like, it was like Ben Stiller in the mine, you know? <laughs> the, and he's, like, posing with this and doing this whole move. So I'm like, okay, I don't think that these muscles are real. I think they're decorative, you know? There's a difference between decorative muscles and man muscles, okay? And so somebody goes, I bet you can't beat him in arm wrestling. And I'm like, bet. I can take him down. My little skinny arms, like, it's good. Like, I can handle it. So we, I take the challenge, and we line up to arm wrestle, And the you can't is running in my head, everyone's doubting me, everyone in the room is betting on him, how many guys like being the underdog? You're like, oh yeah. But I know, half of this is mental. Half of this is mental, so he grabs my hand and I look at him and I go, you're gonna have to break my arm to win. Like that's my seriousness, right? And You get that serious tone and they kinda shake and uh, and I'm like, you don't know what dad's strength is, just wait. And so the guy puts his hands on there and then this is the clue, if you ever wanna beat somebody in arm wrestling that is stronger than you, it's all about the first second. got to get just a slight advantage right out of the gate. So the guy lifts, and I get that slight advantage, and I, I just go to my inner dad's strength, and I throw his hand down. Come on, somebody. And if you haven't picked up yet, my toxic trait is not being able to turn down a dare. That's my toxic trait. like, Pastor Sam, I don't feel like this is very healthy. I'm working on it, okay? I'm aware you don't need to counsel me, okay? I've got... It under control, but there's these moments where like that just fuels me. I don't really want people to tell me I've got limitations sometimes. I don't really wanna think that I can't handle something. I I wanna be able to handle it. I wanna be able to take care of it. I I I wanna be um, healthy, I wanna be able to do this stuff. And And really as we've been talking about forgiveness, we've been even really having this emphasis. I've just felt the Holy Spirit lead me over and over again as a church. We've really had emphasis on relationships this year. It's come up in every single series, like how are we operating with people? I think part of that is, we all got just a little weird during COVID and we're still recovering, okay? We're all still just a little weird. We're working out relationships. So on this Father's Day, I wanna break down what it looks like to do life with people at like a deep brotherhood and sisterhood level. You see, all throughout scripture, there are so many stories where people get to the moment where they can't handle it and a deep, committed relationship comes through for them. This is a consistent theme. There are these relationships in scripture that are not shallow, that are deep, that, that, that have a depth to them uh, with their relationship, the communication, the way they talk. And it's so vital that we start to understand the need to be able to admit when we can't handle something and to find some help. And there's a phrase that's gonna be our lead text today. It comes from Deuteronomy 32.30, but the phrase is this. One can put 1,000 to flight. Well, two can put 10,000 to flight. Now think about this for a second. One can put 1,000 to flight. You add a second one in, what do we think that should mean? Oh, we could do 2,000, right? That, that, That math makes sense. But here's scripture outlines for us the multiplication aspect that is built into the human condition when we add in somebody relationally. So alone I can do 1,000. Together we can do 10,000. Essentially 10X your capability by adding another person into the mix. 10X it, right? Again, that passage, Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty. How could one man chase 1,000 or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? A similar idea is laid out by King Solomon in one of the, uh, the books that would be considered wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands even is not easily broken. Solomon takes it one further. He goes, it's not just two sending more to flight. That multiplication effect is added when you even add a third into the mix. Let's do better than two, let's add a third. They're talking about the value and the effect of real, authentic, brotherhood-level, sisterhood-level relationships that seems to be increasingly more and more rare in our society and unfortunately, rare in our churches. One of the number one issues, especially with men that I counsel on, is loneliness. Loneliness, I feel lonely. I don't really know if anyone actually knows me. I don't really know. I feel like I'm doing a lot on my own. And so really, as we begin to dive into this topic today, I think that hopefully I can paint a picture that we need to learn to let people in, but not just in this sort of shallow church lobby conversation way. I mean, you know, there's a church lobby conversation where it's like, hey, how you doing? How are the kids? Oh, how's the boat? How's the Right, there's that sort of just shooting the breeze. Oh, big drought lately. <laughs> How's your grass? Dry. Really? Wouldn't have guessed it. Hasn't rained in a month. Like That's right where we're stuck on like, that level conversation. We're like, yeah, they're my friend. They're my, they're my buddy. But we got to get to a place where, hey, we want to dive in deeper. And I love how it says two can defend themselves. This to me, like my mind pictures someone back to back with me, right? Being backed up. Can I tell you, church, that if you want someone to back you up, you're gonna have to open up. And opening up allows them to back you up. So many of us were like, I got nobody. Nobody's got my back. No one's got my back, but it's because no one actually knows you. People don't know how to defend somebody that's a stranger. I don't even know how to help. Like, right, think about all the war movies and all the different times where, first, the soldiers are bonding before they go to war. It's like, if I'm gonna be in the trenches with you, I need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. I need to know both because different moments and different difficulties and challenges, we're gonna need all of our different strengths and we need to be hyper aware of our weaknesses so that we call on each other at the right moments to back each other up. We need to open up if we want back we got We gotta let people in. We gotta actually talk. We gotta actually share. We gotta we got say, hey, this is what's really going on. For many of you, you are settling for addition in your life when God wants to multiply your effort through other people. But so many people around you, they just don't know how to help. Again, talk to the dads again in the room. Because here's the reality. You have to admit you can't in order to ask somebody for help. I can't do it. Let me illustrate this. Why don't you come up here, Pastor Phillip? Come on, Pastor Phillip. And um, I've got up here with me, some of you guys are like, what is he going to do with the freezer? Why is there an ugly, like, freezer in the background? And here's the reality. I actually brought this freezer in because I need, I need, here's the challenge. I need this freezer moved to the other side of the stage. It's on the wrong side of the stage. I want it over there. So I'm going to to come up. Philip's a pretty strong-looking dude, right? He's taller than me. That's a problem. But don't worry. I already challenged him to an arm wrestle, and I already beat him. So it's good. We're good. So... Lead pastor, youth pastor. We got to figure it out, okay? But but if, if anybody in the room can move this freezer, it might just be Philip. So, Philip, here's what I need you. I need you to move this freezer. I want you to. But here's the thing. Don't drag it. The, the, there's this, this floor, it's actually scratchable. So, you got to pick this up. I want you to pick this freezer up, and I want you to lift it. Come on. Give it a real shot. Come on. He's going to throw his back out. Yeah, about to be some workman's comp problems here at Artisan Church. Bro, <laughs> he's actually really trying. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's kind of off the ground, guys. Yes, look at that. Look at that, his veins are popping, he's sweating. Hey, you can't fake that. You can't fake that redness, y'all. Come on, dude, you can't do it. You can't do it. Okay, so he cannot do it by himself, but what happens if I say, hey, Philip, you can ask for help. Okay, you can ask for help from one person. One person, ask for help. Come on, Kruby. okay. Come on, give it up for Jake. All right, here we go. So you can ask for help from one person. So, so did we all establish it was impossible? It was literally impossible for him to carry that without dragging it. But now if you ask for help from one person, we go from impossible to, oh, quickly possible. Easily possible. I don't see any veins popping. I don't see any struggling. Now, if I made him hold it for like 10 minutes, we could maybe see that, but I won't do that. Here, You guys can set it down. You guys can set it down. Come on, give it up for him. Church, can I tell you that a lot of you guys are looking as silly as Philip trying to move this freezer by himself. You're dealing with something and you are struggling, your veins are popping, you're sweating, you're frustrated, you're angry, and you might even be bitter at God, going, why am I struggling with this? And I'm I'm having this battle, and it looks as silly as that because you are unwilling to open up, ask for help, and get the backup that you need. Get the backup. There's an example in scripture that's set by King David. This is before he's king. It's one of the most famous friendships in scripture. You've got David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, so he was a prince. And here's David coming on the scene, serving Saul's house, getting all this favor. Saul gets really, really jealous. And we're at the point in the story where King Saul is just determined, I gotta take David out or he's gonna take my throne. And, and he's really just turned away from God, stepped out from underneath his anointing, and he's attacking David. And David's response So this problem is just beautiful. In chapter 20, verse 1 of 1 Samuel, it says, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. David took an oath and he said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Realize, let's just give David some credit right now. He's a step away from death. My first instinct would not be to run to the son of the man who's trying to kill me and ask for help. My first instinct wouldn't even be to ask for help. I'd just run. Like, I'm just out of there. Like, goodbye. Like, I'm gone. And here is David going, I don't need to go this battle alone. i got a friend. I need help. I am one step away from death. I've got a real challenge, a real problem. Would you help me? And then let's listen to Jonathan's response. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And we know that David and Jonathan concocted a plan that got David safely away. The reality is here you see a friendship deep enough that one step away from death, hey, Jonathan, I need your help. And Jonathan's response is a response that I believe many of you in this room believe you'll never get from anybody. Hey, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. What do you need? I got you. I got your back. I'm I'm gonna back you up. I'm gonna help. You just opened up. I'm gonna back you up. But the reality is the lie that no one would ever respond that way is keeping us from right relationship. And can I just destroy a lie real quick? Um, And and some of you guys have have gotten to a place where uh, the, the, the codependency of your marriage has actually stopped you from building fruitful relationships outside of it. So sometimes we're like, well my spouse has my back. My spouse is there, I'm just gonna tell you You need more than your spouse to live a fully active, on mission, fruitful, incredible Christian life. I need more than Renee. If all I've got is Renee, I'm actually putting pressure on that relationship that it's not built to handle. The scripture tells us to include hey, I need a brother. She needs a sister. There's even been conversations like, hey, is this something I should just like call a girlfriend? I'm like, yep, (laughs) call her. Like, I'm good. Like, have that conversation. Call them. We have to have this relationship. We have to have this connection, even outside of our marriage, with people that we trust, that have our back. Galatians 6, two through three says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Some of you guys are thinking you're way better than you are, that you've got it handled, you've got it figured out, but you're just deceiving yourself. You need some help. You need someone to carry that burden with you. A key to this type of relationship is the forgiveness that we talked about two weeks ago. If I don't believe I will be received well, I'm not gonna share anything. See, but if I understand, I think they're gonna forgive whatever I let them know. I think they're gonna let it go. I don't think it's gonna change how they see me. A phrase I've used in pastoring so much because... It's just interesting, I've seen this over and over again to know that most of us feel this in the room. Almost everybody comes and they go, well I wanna tell you something but I feel like it's gonna change how you see me. I've heard that so many times. So a phrase I've adopted, they'll say, hey there's nothing you can change that's gonna change the way I see you. Because as a pastor I'm trying to see you the way that God intended you to be. And any mistake you've made or any issue you have, That is just a perversion of God's perfect creation because the devil cannot create, he can only manipulate. And so you've believed a lie and you've fallen into something, but that's not who you are because I know whose you are. So no, you're not that. You're not that issue. I see you the way Christ intended you and I'm gonna help you get to that end. But it's so many of us believe this lie of if I ever tell anybody the, the veil's torn and they're gonna see me for who I really am. Good, you need someone to see you as you really are. You need to be fully seen. You need to be fully known. You need to be willing to say, this is what I'm going through. But if you believe the lie that nobody else is going through it, you're going to keep it to yourself. You're not going to tell anybody, this is me, and and this is special. I'm unique. I'm the first one to ever come up with this sin. You're not that creative, okay? And the devil's not that creative either. He's only got like a few plays. And so it's going to come, it always comes back around. But church, no one can help. No one can carry a burden like Galatians 6 reminds us to do. No one can help with a burden that you bear alone. But can I encourage you? A truth that I've found is that vulnerability actually leads to vulnerability. So when I lead with opening up so they can back me up, usually it's reciprocated if they're healthy. And I'm only picking healthy people to open up to anyways. I'm saying, hey, I feel like, hey, vulnerable. And then all of a sudden, they're vulnerable back. And all of a sudden, there's this connection, and there's this trust, and this relationship starts to deepen, and it becomes this beautiful expression of a healthy Christian relationship. So church, you can't do it all yourself. You need the multiplication of good help. And like we said at the beginning, that means you have limitations. Let's just talk about this for a moment. You have limits. And actually, understanding, learning, and growing in your limits is a part of your health journey. It's a part of getting healthy in your relationship with Jesus. What are my limits? Part of that is understanding what are my propensities for sin? We aren't all tempted by the same sins. We are drawn to specific things. For some of you, there are just rooms and spaces and places you know I actually, because I know my limits, I won't go there. I'm not going to a bar at 1 a.m. on a Friday night. It's not happening. I know what I'll do if I go there. I know what's going to happen if I show up on the scene at that moment. And here's the reality is that we need to learn our limits and then we need to draw lines. This is how my brain works. This is how I think about it. I'm going, every time I've learned something about my limitation, for example, something I actively work on, is I like to lie to myself about my limitations around work. Um, If I'm not careful, I am drawn to workaholism. You know, There's some people are drawn to a couch, I'm drawn to workaholism, I just am. I find a lot of significance in working hard. So I have to learn that about myself. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not highly intentional, I will be the pastor who has no limits, says yes to everything, works all the minutes away, and ends up with children who hate the church. Just being honest, I'm aware of this, that's my propensity. I refuse to write that narrative for my kids. I love them way too much, so what do I do? I have lines drawn. So there are times when people ask, hey, Monday, can you do this thing? Nope, that's Sabbath, that's family day. Hey, this night, can you have, Nope, that's family pizza movie night, and I'm with my crew that night. I'm so sorry, I love you, if it's an emergency, that's one thing, but no, I'm gonna say no, because I've learned my limits, I've drawn lines with my schedule so that I value what's most important. We have to learn our limits and begin to draw lines. Here's the reality though. The problem is for many of us, we try to, to, um, we try to draw the line after we've already crossed our limit. <laughs> we try to make a decision once we've already gone into that situation. How many of you know I don't choose my limits for my diet while I'm at a buffet? I choose my limits of my diet before I go to the buffet. I'm gonna keep myself to the salad and a little bit of protein. I'm not gonna go there and then go, what am I feeling right now? What's my limits? How many of you know, the second you get on a plane for vacation, you go, I feel like our budget was too strict. Let's spend more, you're on vacation, let's live. You don't set your limits on vacation, you set your budget beforehand. You're going to learn your limits, learn your propensities, understand yourself. here, I'll just be honest. For me, I need accountability to hold the line, though. You can learn limits. You can begin to understand your limitations in your life. But when I draw that line, that's usually where I, I, I can use some help, if I'm being honest. I need some accountability. And there was this really popular phrase, especially in the era I grew up in church, everyone would say accountability partner. And, um, and what, it, what it sort of became known as is like somebody that's supposed to check in on you all the time. And that's unrealistic in the adult life, let's just be honest. That sounds great, having a youth leader checking in on you as a student, but you're, you're a grown adult. You're a grown adult. Accountability looks a whole lot more like your relationship with your accountant. I'm bringing you all of my junk. How many of you know your accountant is not held accountable for the money and the income you don't disclose. So they're only gonna build your taxes and have you pay in based on the income you disclose. If you hide income from your accountant, are they held accountable? No, you hid that money. I have to come and bring all an honest, transparent, here it is, here's my year on paper, taking account of it. In the same way, you guys, your accountability in your life, they are not accountable, for the sin that you hide, for the struggle that you hide, for the pain that you hide. What we say, hey, I'm gonna bring this to you in confidence, I wanna trust you. Will you help me draw lines in my life? I'm learning about my limitations, but I need to draw some lines. Will you help hold these with me? And I'm gonna keep coming to you. And when I'm tempted, I'm gonna let you know. I'm gonna text you when I'm struggling. Hey, it's a bad day. Somebody that's been a deep accountability for me. Just recently sent me, I mean, it was like a nine-minute voice text. Hey, I got to let you know what's going on. Here's the situation. Here's how I'm struggling in it. Here's where I'm at. Nine-minute voice text. And guess what? And what day like, we don't even need a phone call on this. I need to send this text because now you'll hold me accountable to this voice text. And I'm like, done. Got you. You're covered, right? And I'm texting back, hey, you're covered. Some of us, it, it's not as complicated as you think, but we have to be willing to say, hey, I need accountability, so I'm coming to you. I'm saying, will you hold me accountable? Another thing that I think is beautiful about this passage, or this idea of this deep-seated relationship, is what we're actually doing is, again, think about those war films, right? You're like, hey, 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 cover me. We're looking for people to cover us. Hey, hey, would you cover me? We've got this challenge. i got to go into a threat. i got to go into a danger zone. i got to go do a hard thing. I need you To cover me. In church, one of the things that's beautiful about a covering is that courage is fueled by covering. Let me give you a really simple illustration. You ever been to a dinner and you get invited out with some friends or maybe somebody older than you and and it's a really expensive place. And you look at the menu, you've got like, I've got courage for the burger. (laughs) Like, that's all I've got courage for. And the person across goes, oh, by the way, we invited you here. We got the bill. Dinner's covered. All of a sudden, you know, your courage to order filet goes through the roof. You're like, oh, the salmon looks good tonight. That looks great. Oh, are we, doing, are we doing appetizers? What are we doing? What all are we ordering? Like my courage to order just went through the roof because I'm covered. You got the bill? I'm covered. We understand that Jesus has given us this covering. But in life, with some of these challenges, I got to know And scripture backs up the fact, I need to be covered by some friends as well. I need to get some people that are doing this with me. I wanna know that I'm covered. I wanna know that there's help. I wanna know that someone's with me. Really, I wanna present a question. And if all you remember is this question all week, if this question nags you, bothers you, and comes up in your mind all week, I did a great job today. What if the solution to your problem is a person? What if the thing that you are struggling with, and you're here struggling with the freezer, trying to lift it. i got to figure out how do I move this thing, and I'm fighting with it. I'm struggling with it. And all of a sudden, you get a friend, calls you, and they're like, hey, just checking in. How are you doing? I'm good. Liar! Why do we do that? i like, God, why aren't you sending me help? He's like, they just called. You told him you were good. <laughs> I sent you help. Why didn't you accept it? We do this. We don't want to sound like we need anybody's help. I got it. I got it. No, you don't. Receive the help. What if the solution to your problem is a person? And I think so often, God, he prefers this. Because he knows, hey, I actually made you a pre-fall condition. Is loneliness was not good for you. Before sin ever came on the picture, loneliness was a problem. And I solved that. And, and I actually, I need you to not isolate so I might even allow you to struggle with some things until you allow someone in. I might actually let you kind of fight a battle for a little bit and work through this until you're willing to let somebody in. Come on dads, you love having a guy for everything. Oh, you got car problems? I got a guy. <laughs> you got lawn problems? I got a guy. Oh, you got your refrigerators on the front? I got a guy. Oh, you, you, you wanna you want get fitted for golf clubs? I got a guy. I got a guy for everything. You've got a guy for every material problem on the planet. But spiritual and emotional? Oh, your marriage is in trouble? I don't got a guy. Oh, your devotional life is dead? I don't, I don't got a guy. Oh, you've got trauma from your childhood? I, I, don't, I don't got a guy for that. Oh, you wanna work through the pains of your life? I, yeah, I don't got a guy. How is it that we have so many relationships ready and able to help with low level non-eternal, temporal, material problems. But when it comes to the deep-seated, eternal, spiritual work of the soul, we've got nobody. That's a disparity that is gonna wreck your life. That is a challenge, that is something you're gonna face that is gonna create damage and wreak havoc on your very soul. It's gonna hurt you internally. What if the solution to your problem is a person friend of Renee and I, he preached here last year, Brandon Cormier, he recently said this, and I love this quote. When God wants to help, he sends people. When the devil wants to hurt, he sends people. And this is where the confusion comes in because you're like, Pastor Sam, I've tried this before and they burned me, they hurt me. We have to be careful to begin to ask the question, God, are you sending this person to help or is the devil sending this person to hurt? Remember scripture. For David, the devil used Saul, but God used Jonathan. For Elijah, the devil used Jezebel and Ahab, but God used Elisha. For Naomi, the devil took her whole family, but God used Ruth to restore it. For Noah, the devil used mockers, but God used his sons. For Paul, the devil sent persecutors, and God sent him Timothy. For Jesus... The devil used Pharisees, and God sent him John, Peter, James, the disciples. John was set apart because it was John, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, it's mostly the writings of John that reminded us of that, and it's like, you're kind of proud of that, John, aren't you? The one, I'm John, the one who Jesus loved. <laughs> like, okay, John. <laughs> but there was closeness. There was proximity. There was relationship. There was trust. Someone who's got my back. Someone who's going to be there, someone who's going to show up when it counts. Just because there are problem people does not mean that there are not solution people. There are people in this room that could be a solution to the problem that you're struggling with. But would you open up? Would you let them know? Keys can come on up. Who is in your path that God is inviting you to work with? To ask for help, to let in, to admit, And say, hey, I can't handle this one alone. I need the multiplication of an added individual to help me with this. I can only handle a thousand, and this is a 10,000 problem. I can only handle a little, this is a lot. I need help. I need aid. Would you help me in this struggle? Would you help me carry it? Would you help me lift it? So, church, why don't you just take a moment all across this room? Just bow your head. Close your eyes. Think about all these struggles, all of the, for the sake of the illustration, the freezers that you're trying to move. And you're wondering why you can't overcome it, why you can't get past it. God's like, I want want you to let people in. I want you to open up so you can get back up. I want you to get covered so you can have some courage. I want you to learn your limitations so you can draw lines, so you can stay healthy, so you can set boundaries. And all of these things, they really are gonna require some greater relationships. But it's gonna require you to sometimes go to them and say, hey, I need help. I really believe this. There are many people that may even know that you're struggling and they just don't know how to help because you won't let them in. People that are praying for an opportunity, to help you. Oh, just if there would be an open door, I could help them. If they would just let me in, I could help. Why won't they let me help? Why won't they let me help? There are people waiting to help you, waiting to step up, to show up, to be your advocate, to be your accountability, to be there for you, to stand in the gap with you, to have your back, to multiply your effort. We have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself, admit that I can't, and ask for help. So, Jesus, we take this challenge. We take this struggle of whatever season we're in, and, and we lay it at your feet. But Lord, I pray right now, you are you are a God who speaks. You are a God who shares. You are a relational God. And so, Lord, would you begin to show us who you've been sending? Maybe, maybe the person didn't look, talk, or act the way that we wanted. Maybe we wrote them off way too easily, but Holy Spirit, I pray you'd highlight them to us. Who are those relationships we need to press into? What are the parts of our life that we've been trying to be strong, we've been trying to have it all together, but deep down inside we know we're flailing, we're drowning, we're underwater? Help give us the courage to get covered. Would we utilize the fact that we're a part of a community of faith? And believers who love each other. One body with many parts, and each person operating in their role leads to everybody getting the help, the aid, and the support they need. God, also, would you speak to our hearts today on the people we need to help? Maybe we also haven't been faithful to offer the aid. We know we could help, but we don't want to. God, I pray we'd get in the mud with them. You would even highlight the people that we need to have the courage to stay involved with to stay the course, to continue helping, continue being a support to Jesus, speak to us. Whatever we need to hear, say it right now. Right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet all across this place.